All right, everybody, good afternoon. Let me get us out of the gate. Uh, so grateful that uh, you are here today to reflect a little bit on the conviction that is often missing in the context of really biblical Christianity, including sometimes in the pulpit. I will argue, and I served as a pastor for 27 years in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, Christian school K3 through 12, homeschool cover group of a couple of hundred. I understand Christian education. I think most of you would agree it's valuable. Um, it's just my opinion, having uh, been a part of the pastoral community for a long time and in my role now at the Master's University where I'm the campus pastor and uh, the vice president of student life I um, and the president of the Master's Fellowship. So there's occasion, and I'm not trying to wow you with the things I do. I'm trying to tell you I'm around pastors, okay? I'm around God's people. And uh, in my view, and I think in the view of the men that you're going to hear from today, uh, there's something sometimes deficient and often absent in the convictions of the heart that relate to pastors and parents. And that conviction, I'm going to argue, is an essential biblical Christian conviction that ought to be, it ought to be owned in such a way that it's non-negotiable. When I say conviction, I mean a compelling belief. I'm talking about something that you will not negotiate. That uh, if you're given the option, there's no way you're going to make the wrong decision because you have convictions. And the conviction that we want to, I want to begin the day with uh, by declaring to you a conviction you should own is the truth-based, that truth-based education. Keywords, truth-based education is essential. It's critical for fulfilling Christian stewardship. An education that, and it doesn't matter at what level, if you obviously, I went to a public school, went to a public university, you get educated in certain things, but in my case, certainly in my university experience, I don't know anything that they told me that was true except calculus. <laughs> because everything was infected with things that were not true. I went to an Ivy League school, which would get me a degree that would get me a, an opportunity to have a career that produced a living, but they didn't tell me things that were true. And I want to begin by quoting a verse to you that I'll circle back to because I'm, I'm going to be second in the lineup today to encourage you after introducing this session to you. But in the book of Proverbs, which is the book of wisdom, it's heavenly perspective on life below. It's coaching from above for life on earth. It's God's view of the way things are, and wisdom, the beginning of it is to acquire it, and acquiring wisdom is promoted by the declaration that wisdom profits you more than silver and gold profits you. That nothing you desire can be compared to her. Get that, wisdom. God's view, God's perspective. I like to say the overview, God's view of reality, and the how-to, which God prescribes, that makes you live a life that's better than if you had wealth beyond measure. And the reason for that statement is because wisdom acquires what silver and gold cannot. It acquires things that are priceless and more valuable. That's why you desire it more than anything. It gives you access to a priceless life that's upright, which means rightly related to God, rightly related to the world in which you live, a productive life, a potent life, impactful life, and an eternal life that enables you to leave a mark and a legacy that matters. You can come and go, Ecclesiastes says we will, but you can mark people for eternity if you're governed by wisdom and you can live a productive life, get that. And foundational to that, here's the verse, Proverbs 23, 23. This is Solomon, the wise man, talking to his son and to his people. This is an epigram. It's one of 16 portions extended in Proverbs designed to carve truth into your heart. And this is what he says as an emphatic pursuit. 
And that's what this session is built on in my view. Here it is. You want to be prosperous? Listen to what wisdom says. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Buy means you're going to spend money, time, resource, and effort to acquire something that you own. Owning it doesn't just mean you know it. Owning it means you bought it to enjoy it, to apply it, to live it. Buy the truth. Selling it means you compromise it, you neglect it, you discount it, you compromise it. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom, get instruction, which is training in the truth, so you can enjoy understanding, which is the application of truth in a wise way that enables you to live in the most prosperous possible way. You want to live a profitable life? You want to live in ways that secure you assets that are greater than gold and silver and precious stone by the truth and get instruction in the truth. So that's the verse that I want to plant in your heart as we begin today. I'm going to lead us in prayer. I've got allies. So I'm going to have, I'm Harry Walls. I didn't introduce myself. I'm sorry. Um, I have the pleasure of serving here at Grace Church uh, as a fellowship pastor. And I has already told you in a number of other spaces um, but I'm really grateful to be here, and I have colleagues and allies, uh, our president of the Master's University, who's going to come in a moment to uh, share with us a theological perspective on uh, Christian education, truth-based education, just a really probably an incomparable voice of authority to talk about God's Word and the importance of the conviction that I'm hoping you won't negotiate or trade away. And then uh, you're going to meet a a litigator, a lawyer, who's actually on the right side of things. Um, Todd Sorrell, who's written a book on thinking through the choice of college and uh, has uh, a heart for helping parents and uh, people think about the important categories of a truth-based education and how to get your child in a space that will optimize them, not diminish or destroy them. So got some good allies today. We're all going to talk to you if we have time, and that's why I wanted to start right at 1. We'll give a little time for Q&A, all right, if that's helpful. But let me lead us in prayer and invite the Lord to shepherd us as we consider a conviction you need to own. Father, I thank you today for the opportunity we share to gather in this space. And frankly, it's not a space that we want to utilize for personal opinions. But Lord, we wish for you to speak through the authority of your word and the perspective of divine wisdom and uh, the reality that comes from living in, in a way that both honors you and advances your glory. And that's our desire. And I assume for these men that have gathered here that either they're leading something that involves Christian education or they're considering how to fulfill their responsibility as a parent or as a ministry. And I'm asking that you will help us be helpful. And uh, to that end, I'm asking you to provide what we can't have unless you provide it. In the matchless name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Will you welcome the president of the Master's University, Dr. Abner Chow. Well, good afternoon. Hope you all are doing well. And I want to keep my comments relatively brief, only about three hours. (laughs) Uh, Just kidding. Far, far less than that, because we have so many good allies, good speakers to provide tremendous insight to you all. I suspect that I am really preaching to the choir. Just by a show of hands, how many of you are involved in leading a Christian school in your church or in your community? Can can you just raise your hand? Yeah, a great, great amount of you. So I just want to divide my talk quickly into really two major parts. One is reinforcing our convictions about Christian education, because many of you here are already involved, you're already bought in, you're already passionate about this, and I also want to, of course, talk about recapturing Christian conviction. For those who are bought in and involved, how do you talk to your congregation members and shepherd them and ignite in them an understanding of the conviction for Christian education? And for those who are brand new to this and trying to think through it for the first time, how do we capture it in our own heart and then shepherd our own people before the Lord? So for those and along the first line of reinforcing Christian higher or Christian education really in general, I just want to thank 
all those who are already in the game, who are already involved. I know that the challenges are difficult and that there are many trials in the process, but what you are doing is very important for the church, as we'll learn hopefully in my brief comments. And as with Shepherd's Conference in general, what often is the exhortation to us is still abound more, that you are not alone, that you are not crazy, even though the world around you and the situation around you may suggest that, you are not alone. You are standing for the truth. You are doing something that matters. And you need to instill in your own heart and your people's heart, especially if you're leading any kind of educational enterprise, uh, some very important principles and encouragement. And I just want to encourage you in that right now. At the Master's University, our kind of mentality, our operational mentality is a very short phrase. It's Christ in all things. It's a very loaded statement, and the idea of Christ in all things is where Christ is first. It's not just a generic word like God. No, it's a distinct word like Christ, which emphasizes the highest doctrinal fidelity, the highest view of Scripture, the highest understanding of theology, because it all ultimately goes to Christ, and we want that kind of doctrinal fidelity, not just alongside of what we teach, but Christ in all things. That's got to be the conviction that every subject, every thought, every class session, every piece of operation must be captured to the Lordship of Christ. And that takes deep investment in your faculty. That takes deep investment in your teachers. You can't just say, oh, I know that they're believers and we'll be fine. No, this takes discipleship. And so even as teachers are discipling perhaps young minds, so leaders must be discipling those who do that activity. And that's part of everything we do. And of course, Christ in all things, all things, everything. It doesn't just mean in the classroom. It means in the co-curriculars. It means in operations. It means in how you handle everything. It must be rigorously scrutinized to the highest degree of doctrinal fidelity. Let me just say, we, we should never apologize for that. We should never apologize for that. There will always be pressure on you to say, well, if you just weren't so pointed, if you weren't just so refined in your thinking, you could get more. You might be able to get more, but at what cost? You might be able to get more, but at what sacrifice to the body of Christ? We must stand firm that we are all about the highest doctrinal integrity, not the lowest common denominator. Because that's not what we want in our churches. We want the highest. And so we make no apology for that. Do not be ashamed, as this conference reminds us, of that reality. So that's my encouragement to us to reinforce, especially for those who are in leadership of Christian education, to reinforce convictions about it. What you are doing matters. You must hold the line. And I think that will come together as we talk about the second issue, which is how to recapture this lost idea of Christian education. Sometimes donors come up to me and ask, why should I invest in Christian education as opposed to education? And I say, you do realize that there is only one education, and that is Christian education. All of education started truly from biblical Christianity, biblical theology. The call for education was found as early as Deuteronomy 6. If you actually do archaeology in Israel, you'll realize that Israel is one of the most literate societies in the ancient world. Why? Because they needed to read their Bible. So they learned language. Anytime you do missions and you do Bible translation, you actually increase the literacy rate of that nation. Why? Because you have to read to know how to read your Bible. Education stems from a biblical worldview. Education that is secular came after that and perverted what was original, which is actually Christian education. So if you're really thinking about what is true education, it started with Christianity. It is Christian inherently in that way. And let's recapture it together. And I know that there's just a broad range of what we're thinking about. I'm in higher education. There are those in K through 12. But let's start with some fundamental principles, and I want to break this down with parents, students, and pastors in about five minutes. So here's how we're going to do that. Let's start with a fundamental idea. A fundamental idea is this, that we cannot shift our mind into neutral when it comes to these matters. We cannot shift our mind into neutral and let the world take over the discussion in these matters. What the world says, this is how you do it, that doesn't automatically make it right. We know that. We preach that. Now we need to shepherd our people in that. For our parents, we need to remind them that Ephesians 6 and the call to doing 
instruction of our children and the fear and admonition of the Lord and the discipline and instruction in the Lord, that's mandatory. That is not something you can delegate. That is something you have to give an account for. We need to remind our parents of that and remind them that education, which may be approximately 30 hours a week, that is not something you want to relegate to someone else blithely. You need to make conscientious decisions that you will have to give an account for before the Lord of why you did what you did, of how you raised your children as shepherds and as parents. We need to help our people think through that carefully. This is not a neutral issue, and particularly, it's not a neutral issue as you go through K through 12 and even get into higher education. Sometimes people say, oh, I I understand this. That's why I've homeschooled. That's why I've done private school. Amen and amen. Praise God for the thoughtfulness and the circumspectness in it all. But then when it comes to college, people still put their minds in neutral, and they say, well, they should be prepared. Let's just make sure that they get a job. We need to remind parents, You don't give up your responsibility at the last minute. That is a terrible move. What what athletic team at the last minute would just say, well, whatever, we'll see if we win. That's, That's not the logic at all. That's the most crucial moment. And especially since if you understand the design of college and university in our society, the design of college and university in our society is to finish people's thinking. That's the design. There's no ambiguity about that in accreditation literature that we all have to subscribe to. This is why we have things called general education, which every single student has to take. And every undergraduate accredited university in the United States must have. And it is designed to do one thing, to finish the way your child, your student thinks. It is designed to complete their worldview. That is the explicit purpose of it. So when you make a decision about university and you're sending them to a place, you are saying, I want this school to finish the way my child thinks. Now think about that claim before the Lord. Think about that claim before the Lord. That is serious. We must remember Ephesians 6, and we must remember that that education is not just in the classroom. Education at a university level particularly happens everywhere. It isn't just with the stage, sage on the stage. It is with individuals. It's with friends who have a bazillion micro conversations, which influence young people even more heavily and more pervasively and more repeatedly than their teachers. And thus, this is a far from neutral decision. Universities are not neutral. They have a worldview and their intent is to teach it. And you've hired them to do that. So we have to help our people think through this. Third John reminds us that there is no more precious thing than to see our children walking in the truth. Now, the Apostle John makes that as a spiritual analogy, but I think we understand it as an even biological and familial analogy. There is nothing greater in our hearts than to see either our spiritual children or our biological familial children walking in the truth. And we need to remind parents of that reality. We need to remind students of that reality. When you ask students, how are you making a college decision? They're thinking, where's the fun place, easy place, and I'll get a job. And it doesn't cost so much, and mom and dad are okay with it. And maybe not even in that order. You have to help them understand, this is the biggest, one of the biggest decisions they'll make in their life when they know the least. Think about that. You are making the highest impact decision when you are inherently knowing the least. You need the education, you need the training, and you have to make a decision on it when you don't have it. This is crazy. We have to step in as pastors and help them. And how do we do that? We have to remind them, you are getting an education for more than yourself. You are getting it for your spouse that you have not met. You are getting it for children you don't know that you will have. You are getting it for people in the church that will depend on you. If all your decision-making is about is about yourself, that is one word. It is selfish. It is selfish. The whole scripture reminds us that our lives are not our own, that our lives are for the greater cause of the glory of Christ. We need to remind our people of this, our students of this in the midst of this. And as pastors, just as pure pastoral fidelity in ecclesiology, we need to understand something about education, evangelicalism, and the church at large. 
I mentioned that there were these conversations that happened between students all the time, and it happens all the time. And these conversations are powerful. Let me give you some examples of how they can just subtly change someone's thinking. It can change their thinking about definitions. Somebody says to the other, well, I know Christians, you guys are loving people. Don't you want to love this person? Well, let them do what they want. And a Christian might say, well, yeah, I'm a loving person. Okay, I'll let them do what they want. Immediately, you've just changed the definition of love. You've just changed the definition of love. People say, oh, oh, well, I thought Christians are about justice. Isn't your God a God that's just? Who wants to be an unjust God? Don't you have the word justified? Doesn't that mean something? So justice means letting people all have the same thing. So shouldn't we let people have the same thing? And a Christian who doesn't understand this might say, well, I guess you're right. I mean, I do believe in justice, and that's good. You can even shift authority. It's not just definitions. You can shift authority. Somebody says to a young person or young people say to young people, oh, well, if so-and-so feels like they can't change, if so-and-so feels this way, that must be the way it is. And a young person might say, well, that makes sense. I guess that's the way it is. Immediately, you've just shifted authority. You've shifted authority from the objective word of God, which verifies everything, to now your personal intuition and feelings, your experience. And you haven't realized that you've just completely overturned biblical epistemology, but you have. You have. And at that moment, Christians graduate, and maybe they still do love Christ, but they have a different Christianity. They have a different Christianity. And what ends up happening is, why is it that the church so readily bought into postmodernism, so readily bought into social justice, so readily bought into universalistic thinking, so readily bought into emergent thinking, so readily bought into CRT? Why did they do that? Or even the sexual issues that are going on in churches now, why does that happen? Because we already prepared our students for that by sending them to where they went. And as an pa- area of pastoral fidelity and fiduciary duty, we need to realize that the way we counsel our students will affect the church at large. And if we want to secure the church as a pillar and grounds of the truth, we really can't send them to places which completely undermine the truth. We need to think objectively about this. Well, my time is up, but thank you for listening, and I invite, is it Todd next? Oh, no, Harry. Yeah. I'm sure I'm done. Yeah, I just like jumped off that cliff. <laughs> uh, this is yours. Oh, thank you. So you can follow John MacArthur or you can follow Abner Chow, and neither one is an enviable place to be. Um, I want you to look at Proverbs 23, and uh, you know, the flag that you had planted in front of you is the recognition of a stewardship that should be a conviction. I am responsible to shepherd God's people collectively or as a parent, my own children. Uh, That conviction must require an understanding that they need to be exposed to not just the instruction and the things that are true and biblical. And by the way, the truth is the revelation of reality. The truth is what is. The biblical word, Hebrew word for truth is reliable. It's faithful to reality. If it deviates from reality, it is not true. 72% of the people who walk the earth today, that, and that's overstated. 72% of the people taken in a, or expressing themselves in a survey in the age group that represents 18 to 40 say that truth is what works for me. If it works, it's true. Here's another statistic. 81%, 18 to 24, don't believe there's any objective truth, and it doesn't become true until it's true for me. In other words, when I believe it, when I accept it, when I apply it, it's my truth. I'm going to live my truth because I define the truth. No, you don't. The truth isn't defined by what you think it is. The truth isn't defined by what works. The truth is what is. And the revelation of reality is in a person, Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. And the revelation of the truth is in the word of God, inspired by God to help you understand life from beginning to the end. This is the truth about how the world began, how it will end, and everything important in between. This is the truth. And everything that you need, 
to be prosperous, profitable, and pleasing to God, you learn here. And if you don't learn this, you don't know the truth, which means you don't possess wisdom, which means you don't have a life that can acquire things money cannot buy. That's why you buy the truth and don't sell it. You're responsible for that. As a pastor, you're responsible to promote that with your people. I watched it over and over. I told you I was from a church that believed in Christian education. I watched Christian parents sacrifice. I watched a church sacrifice. It's not easy to have a church school. Can anybody say amen? If you've had one of those, you know that's true. Sometimes you have just conflict inherent built in. You can be committed to Christian education, but here's an observation. Parents work really hard, really young to make sure that their children, they homeschool them, they buy them. And by the way, get good curriculum. Uh, generations of grace here at grace is gold for you because it's the Bible. Adventure clubs, doctrine. One of the biggest challenges I had both as a parent and as a pastor is find good biblical curriculum for children. You're responsible for choosing that curriculum if you're a parent or a pastor. You have access to good truth-based, Bible-based material. Take advantage of it. You can invest in your children, grammar school, secondary education. I watched it happen, and Abner just alluded to it. Somehow you think if you invest really hard, sacrifice, work a second job, pay the tuition or homeschool and all of the overhead that goes with that, that somehow when they get to be 18, they're ready. So now what we're going to decide is who's going to give us the most money? Who's going to give us a scholarship? What school's closest to home? What school is it that I went to? That's how I watch parents make decisions. Oh, we're going to send them to a Christian school. And you know what? All Christian schools are the same. Did you know that? (laughs) You know that's not true. And I watch parents make choices, whether it's the University of Alabama or Auburn, which are popular schools in my neighborhood or other state schools, or to XYZ quasi-Christian college, report with heart-wrenching tears the loss of a child because they thought they were ready for the assault that would come from people who undermined the convictions they, they sought to sow in the lives of their children. Listen, pastors and parents sow seeds of conviction. Those convictions are not established until the young person you're investing in establishes those convictions for themselves. And the goal of Christian education is to sow as many truth-based seeds as possible as a parent or as a pastor so that their worldview is being shaped from the beginning and it's being supported by a Christian environment, Christian parenting, a Christian experience. Because truth is not just something you hear, it's something you see in the lives of others. And then when they get to be 18 years of old and 18 years of age, and they're headed off into this, Abner referred to it, some of the most important, I would argue, the most strategically defining time in the life of any human being is when they go off to college and they do not have the same structures to support them. They don't have the same fences around them. And they're making their own decisions. You know what they're doing? They're establishing their own convictions. And when it says in Proverbs 23, and I want to point you back there, buy the truth and don't sell it, it's giving you an emphatic, non-negotiable conviction to say yes to. If you want to invest in anything, you want to spend money, spend it in an education that is governed by and guided by the truth. And that doesn't mean you can't get a job. 95% of the students who apply to medical school at Masters get in. That's more than Brown where I went to school. 94% of the students apply to graduate school get in. The CPA pass rate at master's is 77. UCLA, USC in the middle 50s. Listen, you don't have to compromise an education for preparation for work and career to get a truth-based one. You know what? That's valuable. And you ought to invest in that. You ought to buy that. 
and I'm not selling the master's university. I might sound like, I don't know where else to send you. But I, I, I really would. <laughs> you think that's facetious. It's really not. <laughs> Bottom line is, when they turn 18 years of age, you have to have a non-negotiable conviction that helps you shepherd them, whether they're your children or your sheep. The truth matters. And frankly, there is no education without the truth. There's data. You can get a diploma, but you can't argue you know the truth. And the truth is essential for wisdom, and wisdom is essential for productivity in life. And instruction in the Bible, get instruction, it's in the truth. So if somebody teaching you doesn't know the truth, how are you going to learn the truth from them? And did I tell you that truth is reality? It's not what you think it is. It's not your worldview from wherever you came from. It's validated by this. Now, Proverbs 23, I told you I was going there, and I want you to see this, because there's some necessary no's, and I want to make an application for you as a parent, as a Christian educator, and maybe even as a college decision maker. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 23 is the verse. Buy truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom and discipline and understanding. Discipline being instruction in the truth. Someone helping you. Now, I want you to look at verse 17. Well, actually look at verse 15. My son, if your heart is wise. So think of this as a parent. My own heart also will be glad. So if you're wise, guess what I get to be glad. Because every parent who has a wise child is a glad parent. Now watch this, verse 16, and my inmost being will exult. Do you know what that means? I will overflow with joy from the inside out. Not because you hit a home run, not because you got the degree, but because you're wise. My heart will sing when your lips speak upright things. Now, there are four necessary no's in this passage. I'm just going to highlight them because we're, we have a limited amount of time. The first one, which I'm going to call... These are prohibitors to the truth. These are competitors to buying the truth. Unnecessary to know. Verse 17, do not let your heart be jealous or envious of sinners. Sinners are lawbreakers. Sinners are not upright and righteous people. They are outside the community of God-honoring behavior and belief. Do not let your heart be jealous. The word jealous means you want what they have. You want to enjoy what they experience. You're jealous for what they possess. You're envious of what they have. There are unholy heroes in this culture. Celebrities, athletes, musicians. Young people get enamored with. They listen to their opinions. We're in a social media culture. Listen, when Taylor Swift has 245 million followers, that's just too many. (laughs) The top five are all celebrities. There's one guy in the top five, Ronaldo, who is a soccer player, well-known. How many of you know that name, Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo? Yeah. He's not the epitome of integrity. You know anything about him. So these are the people... In the millions that get followed the most. We are in a celebrity influence culture. And what this verse is saying is you make sure that your child does not follow and be influenced by unholy associations, unholy influencers, unholy heroes. Listen, when you go to a secular university, you go to any university, and some guy lines up with a number of letters behind his name, and he's written a book, and he knows somebody who knows somebody, they have perceived credibility. And when they talk, they have influence. You don't want to put your child in a position, I don't care if you're a pastor or a parent, in a position where they have to compete with somebody that by the nature of their academic rigor is perceived to be credible. Because those people have influence. And this verse says, don't desire, don't want to be in that, flee the uh, presence of a a fool, says Proverbs 14. Do not let your heart be jealous or envious of sinners. Be zealous in the fear of Yahweh always. Surely there's a future and there's a hope. And that goes with somebody who's regarding God, not those who ignore and deny God. Listen, you'd be, you, you, you know this, but I'm going to say this to you because I watch it over and over. Young people, malleable and 
able to be impacted and influenced, go to some place where somebody says something in a particular way that grabs their heart and they head down a path that has no end to it when it comes to loss and destruction. And if you send your kid to a Christian school that's not Christian, you know, where they believe parts of the Bible are true, or that was for then, but this is for now, you violate a stewardship. I mean, you've got the, math, the, the gospel statement. It'd be better to tie a millstone around your neck than to lead a little one to stumble. It would just be better. Exercise your influence because somebody will. That's a necessary no. Buy the truth and don't sell them. Give me a second one. Look at what verse 20 says. Do not be with heavy drinkers of wine or with gluttonous eaters of meat. Let me tell you what college is. That. 80% of college students drink. Did you know that? 50% of the 80% binge drink. Which means that they drink so much they can't walk or talk. 50% of the 80% who drink. This says a necessary no. You're not wanting to be a part of a party environment if you intend to be wise. Stay away from that unrestrained appetite, heavy drinkers, gluttonous eaters. Let me give you another avoidance issue verse. Oh, by the way, listen to this. 600,000 college students will be injured as a result of alcohol this year. 675,000 will be injured by someone who is compromised by alcohol. So 600 are going to be in trouble because they drank it. 675,000 are going to be in trouble because they drank it and hurt somebody else. 1,825 college students are going to die because of alcohol. 98,000 will be assaulted sexually because of alcohol. Alcohol is the third preventable death in the world. Guess what they do at college? A lot of that. What this verse says is don't be unholy, don't have unholy heroes and unwholesome associations. Verse uh, 26, give your heart to me, my son. Let your eyes delight in my ways for a harlot is a deep pit. Harlot is somebody who gets, does sexual immoral things for money which can be, in our culture, out on the street somewhere or on the internet coming across your computer. Somebody's getting paid to be immoral. Do not give your, what, what verse 26 says, verse 27 rather, give your heart to me, let your eyes delight in my ways. Verse 27, for a harlot is a deep pit. I mean, you can't get out. A foreign woman, this is a culturally immoral woman. It's not like she's doing it for the money. She's doing it because she doesn't have values of God's covenant people. She's from a pagan culture doing what pagan women do. Not for the money, just because she's pagan. Immorality is the heart of verse 27. Stay away from that. That's a necessary no. Surely she lies in wait as a robber, the culturally pagan immoral woman. She lies in wait as a robber and she adds to the treacherous among men. One of the ways to translate treacherous, and I'm using the LSB for your benefit since you got a brand new one, right? With a hardback. Um, treacherous can be translated faithless. You're treacherous to the truth of God. You are faithless referring to the things of God. Who promotes that? Immoral people promote that. In this case, father to a son, stay away from immorality because it will steal your faith. It'll make you a treasonous person to the God who created you. Necessary no. Verse 26, who has woe, who has sorrow, who has contentions, who has complaining, who has wounds without cause, who has redness of eyes, who, those who linger long over wine, those who go to search out mixed wine, do not look on the wine when it glistens red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. 
Look at verse 32. At the end, it's like a serpent, it bites. And like a viper, it stings. Vipers have two-inch fangs. It's one of the most painful snake bites you can have. This is a warning to a necessary no, not just to stay away from people who party and who enjoy alcohol without discretion. You stay away from it yourself because it'll sting. It'll bite. You'll wake up and you'll want to do it again, but you wake up with a hangover and you hurt. You're compromised. You're callous. That's what the passage goes on to say. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart will speak perverse things. You know what this passage is all about? College. (laughs) You're laughing, but it's true. This is what college is. A necessary no is no unholy heroes, no unwholesome associations, no immoral actions, no reality-altering addictions. Stay away from it because you will not prosper. These things compete. These are truth inhibitors. These are truth misleaders. These are truth betrayers. These are truth detractors. What I just said to you is keep your children in a space that keeps them safe as long as you can keep them safe. Because there are things that will destroy their life. And when they go to college, they have all kinds of opportunities. What's the predictable outcome if you put a child in that kind of a space at 18 years old? I don't care how much you invest in. Are you going to bet on them? I'm not. Is it possible for them to be successful? Yes, it is. It's just not probable. So the missing conviction of Christian education is we're responsible for it as long as possible to invest in the decision-making process to arm the next generation with the truth that'll make them wise. And when you hand them off to educators in the the, uh, college sector, hand them off to somebody who will establish what you've sown into them. Don't spend your life teaching them how to stand in the batter's box and swing properly and then send them to some school that'll tell them, oh no, you don't hold the bat here. You turn it upside down and you hold it that way. Don't undermine the truth that not only sets them free, but sets them up for a prosperous life. I think that missing conviction is essential for Christian stewardship. No compromise. Do what it takes to educate and equip so they have a Christian experience. Todd, you need to come as a parent and weigh in. You've written a good book. There's, uh, you, you can talk about it. Thanks, Eric. So I'll keep you short because we do want to get you out here on time. But uh, someone once said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And I think there is truth to that. I went to UC Santa Barbara to get my undergraduate degree. I went to UCLA School of Law to get my law school degree. After a couple of decades of practice, I then was um, encouraged to go to the master's university to get a master's degree in biblical counseling. And I will tell you, that was the first time in my life, and I've been Christian for a long time, and I was involved in Camp Crusade at these secular schools, but that was the first time in my life that I sat under the teaching of professors who loved God, who knew Scripture, and who bent all subjects to Scripture. It opened my eyes, and I tell people, if you go there even for one year, if I had dropped out, it still would have been worth it. It was not only life-changing, it was eternity-changing. College is a place to be influenced. You are going to be influenced one way or the other, period. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and say one size fits all. If there is a mature Christian you know, a high school student who's graduating who has a heart to evangelism and who is gifted in robotics and who gets into MIT, maybe that person should be at MIT to evangelize there. But is my deep conviction that for the vast majority of students, when they come out of high school, now I went through public schools growing up, I put my kids in public schools, and I will tell you, I was fairly ready, I thought, but I wasn't. But for the vast majority of students, Christian students, especially those who are not laser-focused on that one thing that only one school in the country offers, they should be at a purposely Christian university. Now, what we're going to do when you all leave, we're going to give you a copy of the book. 
there are a lot of um, objections and answers at the end. What if my parents aren't Christians? What if one parent's a Christian, they want me to go to uh, a secular school and the other one doesn't? What about money? What about an athletic scholarship? All those things. I try to address a number of those in the book. But please understand, this arose from me being under the teaching at the Master's University where in, the, in my assignments, we were called to write on certain things. So one of the topics, for example, was the sufficiency of Scripture. Well, John MacArthur wrote a book on Like, what am I going to add to that, right? So I just looked at my life, and I didn't need a job. So I was thinking, okay, this is the first time in my life that I'm going somewhere to actually learn. So I wrote, well, my kids were approaching the teen years. I wrote on the sufficiency of Scripture for teenagers. Does God's Word have anything to say about prom dates, about cheating in school, things like that? So every time, because they told us the Bible is practical. You can use it in everyday life. So as I was was approaching the end of my time there, my kids were coming up on the college years. So what did I do? I decided, well, let's see if God's word has anything to say about choosing a college. That's why this is called a biblical guide for students and parents. So what I did is I went through the Bible to find out. Now, there's no chapter in the Bible that talks about Christian college or Christian education in that sense. But there's a ton in the Bible about education and about influence and about how God defines success as opposed to how the world does. And I will tell you that it has been life-changing for me. And then, of course, my kids. I remember uh, my kids were fairly athletic. And my first one got some letters from some big universities to play soccer. And they immediately went in the trash. She never even, don't tell her, she still doesn't know that they ever came. But my, my, kids, my kids were going to a purposely Christian university, period. I told them, you can go to any school you get into. But my money is only going to a place that actually uh, uses God's word. Because even if my kids aren't Christian, even if they reject the faith, the faith, at least I'm supporting professors and faculty and the Word of God being advanced. Now, I will tell you, I want to give you a warning and then an encouragement. The warning is this. I have spoken to a lot of people about this subject, and I will tell you, there's two, two areas when I speak to people, they get very defensive. One is speaking in tongues. When you talk to people about speaking in tongues, if they've had that experience, they get really defensive about it. The other is choosing college. It surprised me to no end. <laughs> I ask people, even, and I try to soft pedal it. And I just, when I was doing the research, I would ask friends, but they get very defensive. Well, I went to the school, or you went to secular schools. You turned out, okay. you know, we're not the standard. What does God say, and is that the best? What's the best? And so be prepared because parents are not diligent in this area, and I hope this book helps. There's a lot of uh, different topics you can walk through on the book, from worldview to stewarding the mind to stewarding children, all kinds of things in here. But the other one I want to give you is an encouragement, and I'll, and I'll end with this. And I have permission from my youngest daughter who is now at the Master's University. I have three kids. You can pray for them all. But my first went to the Master's University and my last is at the Master's University, and my middle went to another Christian school that we thought was kind of purposely Christian. And I'll tell you, if you made a list of schools that you think are purposely Christian, this one would be on it. But I'll tell you, I will never give a dime to that school. I'm so disappointed, and he is not even going to walk in their graduation. He'll graduate, but I'm very disappointed. It is not, in my view, a purposely Christian university. But my youngest daughter, this is the story I'll tell you. The first week... The first week at the Master's University, a year and a half ago, she calls me weeping. And I got to tell you, I just went, oh, no, here we go again. We've been bombarded one after another after another with things with our kids. It was like, what's going on, God? Why are these, like, lots of bad stuff. Some self-inflicted, some inflicted by others. She's weeping. I'm thinking, here we go again. And she says, Dad, I was just in chapel first week. She said, Ecclesiastes 12, I don't know who was talking. I don't know what the topic was, but I know this. It said, our chief duty is to obey God, and every secret thing will be judged and come to light, and I've been living a lie. And as I talked through with her, I said, Chloe, I think you just became a Christian. Now, by the way, she was supposed to be a Christian before going to the Master's University, and a lot of kids, some students go there thinking that. But she was deceived. I always tell my kids, the world is going to try to trick you. It's going to be yourself or somebody else. But she was deceived. She said, I think I just became a Christian too. And I said, praise God. Now time will tell. And I walked her through the parable of the sower, and I said, make sure it's not this you know, quick you know, emotional plea, and then you respond to. But praise God, she has now, I'm watching her grow. 
she, in her first week, God called her, and now she has four years to be discipled under people that are at the, at the Master's University. So I'm a huge fan, of course, um, and you're not going to find, one thing you won't find, which everybody asked me about, is a list of acceptable Christian universities in here. It doesn't mention any. And the reason why I started that, but the list kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller, and there aren't a ton. Yes, I'm a fan of masters. I will tell you that. You know that already. But I'll also say this. For those of you who are wondering, because one of the objections is cost. There are a number of scholarships available. I have friends who cannot afford a private Christian university, and their kids are at the master's university. Not only is it the lowest cost place, I think, but also they have um, some partnership. One, I'll just pitch one of them. It's called the Generation Scholarship, where aligned churches, churches like my church, we can, we can give some money, but that scholarship is for students that come from your churches. So they get this package, and they might say, here's some extra from this one. So if you're aligned, you need to contact the master. They'll work with you. But, again, it's not supposed to be a pitch. I didn't tell them I was going to do this pitch. But I'm a, I'm a massive fan because I think God's word is taught there. And you should pray that it stays on the straight and narrow because lots of schools start that way, and they get progressively liberal and liberal and liberal. So I know there, uh, we want to do some time for Q&A. Um, come on up, uh, Abner and Harry, perhaps, and then I'll just hand it off to you all. But, um, but if you have any questions, by the way, for me, you can always contact me after. I'm easy to find on the Internet as well. Or if you want me to come talk or, uh, or handle you know, a legal problem for you, let me know. <laughs> so before we take that question, I know there's a 2 o'clock session. And I think I probably ate up too much of your time, right. so I apologize in public. Um, but do you have a question? You're, you're welcome to leave if you need to. But if you have a question, we'd love to help few questions. Quick question. Is this being streamed or is it being like taped so we can... Yeah, yeah, it is. My sound technician at the back shaking his head up and down so you can access this. Okay. Yes, sir. kids in classical education, they deal with Greek mythology and gods and stuff because it pervades a lot of literature and a lot of things in culture. My wife, she's struggling with this. We like to take this stuff. Can you speak to that? Yeah, if you're... If I understand the question correctly, I have to repeat it for the recording. Uh... My kids are in classical education. We, they cover Greek mythology. How do you approach that, especially since it's all myth? And I think that's, again, where you need to cap. It's Christ in all things. It's capturing those ideas to the lordship of Christ. It's getting clarity about what is true and what is false. Uh, and so I don't, I don't think it's – I think we need to be sensitive to each of our children and be good shepherds of them. But we don't shy away from those topics because the last thing you want to do is to create – this sense that everything is true and everything I tell you is true. And then all of a sudden they're starting to equate the Bible with myth in inverse way in that. So therefore by establishing this is false, this is true, this is real, this is not. And you're consistent with that. You're actually ingraining how to understand things biblically. Yeah, and I would try to, I would try to help them understand this is a human effort to understand things that are built into the human heart. And left to itself without a guide from above, this is the kind of place you end up. But in that revelation are things that uh, every human heart struggles with. 